So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast. And today I have a very special guest in with me today and she's an incredible human being who've had the privilege to know over the last year or so. And um, I remember the first day I met her, I knew there was something there was something more to her and there was something more incredible. There was a story there waiting to be told. So I went chuffed to announce and to say that she's here to share some of her insights, some of her lessons, and I suppose some of her work she does now. And I remember when Dee sat down with me first and told me what she actually did and and the why and the reason behind it all. It, it even inspired me something incredibly. So I'm sure people get a lot out of um at all today as well so now bearing in mind there's a pre-warning she's from Donegal so there could be a few subtitles needed now but you have lasted long enough with me so I'm sure if you understand me she's going to be absolutely perfect so Dee do you want to give yourself a quick little intro into who you are and what you do great thanks Dan first of all for having me I feel very honored today to be on your podcast so thank you so yes, my name is Deirdre Nicole Ward and I am 32 years of age from the hills of Donegal and currently, and I was just explaining to yourself Dan, I'm just graduating today with my Masters in Psychotherapy, Child and Adolescent Psychotherapy and Play Therapy. Congratulations, so, there's a reason to celebrate already. Thank you, if that's the professional. Now, you might, you'll have to cheer your cup of tea up in the air now if you're listening to this now. Like. <laughs> That's the professional title out of the way, um, because I'm much more, and I like to make it more human that I am a daughter, I am a sister, and I am an auntie and a friend. And I suppose that I am trying my best to fulfill a life of ease and joy and inner freedom. And that is my passion. And so yes, there's a big story, behind all of that that hopefully I can share a bit of today but I used to be a primary school teacher as well so that was another piece of the journey so I taught for approximately eight years and learned an awful lot about myself about children and about others and systems the system in Ireland and education and that has informed where I am today and my vision going forward as well. Amazing, super amazing, and it's, it's great to see you've come and transitioned from a, a phase before, and maybe that you've learned or picked up or something along the way. And for you, is that where you created that transition and change to what you're doing now from the school teaching? Yeah, so I think I always knew I loved children, like from a very young age. It was like I gravitated towards the children in the room and I would nearly avoid the adults in the room. So there was something within me that felt at ease and felt comfortable being around smallies, as I call them, and little ones. So I always had a real grab for them, a real love for them. And I felt that they radiated maybe towards me as well. Um, so during teaching, I... I was teaching in a boys' school in Meath, actually in County in Dalek in County Meath, and no I <laughs> I learned everything from the Meath ones, you know, and I I enjoyed it, but it was quite stressful, you know. First year out, you're doing your desk and you're 
trying to prove maybe that you're capable, you're able. And it came with a lot of challenges. I had fifth class boys and I remember it, it was quite challenging and trying to manage behaviours and emotions in a classroom maybe of 30 children. And then I worked with fourth class, first class infants. So I got a great range of all the different age groups. But what I kept noticing every single year, there was something within me wasn't feeling like I wasn't dying to get into my work every day. And there was um, not a lifelessness, but there was a spark missing. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was or why I was feeling that way. And I, I, I put a lot of it down to personal reasons so my mum would have been very unwell with cancer so I think I attributed it a lot to that but looking back it was more that piece of knowing that I had a greater vision or a greater meaning for being on this earth and it was the emotional part of children that I kept seeing every single year that it, it wasn't it wasn't um, looked after enough. It was slightly neglected in, in my eyes anyway. And I always talk about this one child and I'll never forget him because it was him that really spurred me on to change and, and leave teaching. He was a very closed book. He looked extremely unhappy and even unwell. His pallor was always so pale. And socially on the yard, he really found it difficult to make friends and just to be in his body and in his words. And it was through art that I realized this child was an incredible artist. And so I did my best in, in so much that I could to incorporate more artistic methods for him to verbalize and show through art and painting and colors who he was and what was going on in his words and it was it was really fascinating to watch that he did actually start making strides again on an emotional uh mental even as academic um his relational skills they all really improved so i have a lot to to thank that child for so then I started looking up a bit about art therapy play therapy and it was the play therapy that just Again, it was that spark was created within me and it felt so right to look at it. Um, but I didn't actually pursue it then. So I, my mom, sadly, she was ill with cancer for nearly nine years. Um, I was 17 when she was first diagnosed. So I suppose I lived with it for a long time. And I never felt I could maybe fully leave teaching. My mom was a secondary school teacher. So I think there was a piece of my dad, a principal, so I think there was a piece around not wanting to let them down as well. And, you know, this is a great permanent job and you, why would you leave that? And it wasn't to say that I had to wait for my lovely mother to pass that I, that I pursued play therapy, but I went to Abu Dhabi and taught. So when my mum died at the end of January, I went to Abu Dhabi in the August and I was looking for a, a different way of life of teaching and thinking it was going to be drastically different and more rewarding but it wasn't the same feeling was inside and actually a lot more feelings came along because my mental health deteriorated significantly yeah i'm rambling on there you you got in at any point <laughs> incredible journey from even listening to you there and 
I suppose with that a lot of the the passion and and the purpose behind of, of what you do it's it's amazing from what I was listening to there is the saying like if it wasn't even for that child who you were teaching there you might not have ever discovered your love for what you do now and the method you use with it as well and I think mm. at times in in life when we look back at situations or back at times we can look back and say why did I waste my time in that? Why did I waste my time in this? But if it wasn't for a lot of them things, it wouldn't have us at the place or the person we are today. So it's amazing to see that. And obviously your mum as well, which it's incredible to see the strength you have even sitting here today. I couldn't imagine going through nine years of my own mum like that. And here, that's what you went through and you're sitting here right now doing the work that you do shows incredible strength and empowerment when inside you as well, which is, it's something I think you're honoring your own self and you're also honoring her within that as well. And for you, that's even with, with school and then with everything going on, like what do you think would inside you allow you to see the child not as this physical person who was here to do physical things? What do you think was the thing for you that ignited that spark inside you to start look at the mental, the emotional side of your own health? What do you think that was for you? Sorry, just so I'm clear, to look at my own health or to look at the children's, look at the children's or both? Or even both, even <laughs> both. So when you're teaching, like obviously that was one of the main things you picked up on when you're teaching. What do you think that was the reason why that was the main thing you picked up on? Yeah, so again, I think it was my soul felt like it was just disappearing every day and I know you're a good friend Miriam talks about the hole in the soul and it definitely felt that way and how I how that looked in the classroom were different behaviors so it could be in a very anxious child sitting and fearful looking and really unable to apply themselves to even focus on what you were trying to educate them on and and I'd like to think that I'm not too scary looking at the top of the classroom, but it didn't matter that I was maybe that safe person. It, their world did not feel safe for whatever particular reason. Now, another child could have been that overt, aggressive, um, you know, very challenging. And sadly, they get terms and called different names in school sometimes as oh the troublesome child or the difficult child and and it's really really just detrimental and it's really sad to hear that that we can go to a place of labeling um another child it could be you very much physically see it so you will relate with this dan in their physiology they'd be squirming they would like be hyperactive and no matter what you did they couldn't come down and or another child it would come in and it looked look like they're nearly falling asleep falling over their table about to lie on the floor so again there was something that wasn't stimulating that child's body so it was very diverse and as a teacher i wasn't equipped i wasn't educated or informed about all of these emotional um, symptoms and behaviors that you can see and so that was quite unsettling for me because these are 30 maybe children that are in my care for a considerable amount of the day. And yet I'm supposed to really tell them about maths and Irish and history and geography. 
and yet maybe not take enough time or enough attention on what's going on for you and one your body looks like it's really tired today and I'm wondering why why it might be feeling that way and only now because I've had an education and I'm so grateful and tonight it is going to be lovely to mark that end of the master's for me but it was like everything that I was unsure about or questioning was filled in for me through my studies on both a personal experiential level in my own life and then also to fill in the gaps about those children that I'll always love and value and remember but it made sense for me and it's not like it's very it's not this whole neuroscientific research yes there's a lot of that involved but there's a lot that you can you can teach and inform that are very basic for teachers parents anybody to help understand behaviors and regulation is a big word that that comes in and I remember thinking is that rules what does that mean what's that word all about but it's really regulation is when we don't feel calm and settled and able to manage and cope emotions in our body so well that's dysregulation the regulation is being able to do that amazing super and for even for a parent or, or maybe it is a teacher maybe it's someone else who just has an interest in the area what would be something that they could start to become more aware of this within maybe it's their own children maybe it's their cousins maybe it's 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 someone yeah that's a really good question actually so putting it simply every behavior is a message and that's what i always go back to the child or the adult because we all go back to childish ways at times which fascinates me too but everything that you're noticing or that doesn't feel or sit right in your gut or your mind is there's a reason for them showing you whatever they're showing so my advice would be always to to label it and to say what you see that's an approach we would use here in therapy and play therapy and psychotherapy it's saying what you see as if you're a mirror reflecting back for that child or that adult about what's happening in their body because it makes such sense that we are we are operating on such an unconscious level for the majority of the day we don't have that um bird-like view or that drone looking down on us to be able to see what we're doing and what's going on so having that other to reflect that back for you is really important and it helps you understand what's going on in your internal isn't and when you talk about play therapy what does that look like for someone who you could be working with so the reason why i ask yeah like what does that actually mean or what does that actually entail what what does that look like yeah and again it's I remember it was a frustration of mine at the start because nobody really has had an understanding of play therapy and they maybe had a perception are you teaching them how to play and they know there's a whole lot more involved so play therapy we talk a lot about the powers of play Dan and there are many powers there's 20 and um, Schaefer and Drews is the, the theorist behind this, but the, it really comes under four umbrellas. So it's communication, 
Um, there's so self-expression, being able to understand the emotions. So then there's the emotional part. So there's what's bubbling up for me and rising within my body here. And maybe what sparked this feeling inside of me in my external environment or who sparks this or what memory. Um, so there's a lot in the unconscious mind as well as, as tying the conscious mind together. There's the relationship building, so socializing, social relationships, being able to understand other people and being in connection. And then the last power of play that we always look at is empathy. It instills the child to be able to have empathy for others. But first and foremost, it's having empathy for the self and knowing what the self is, who that person is. Um, so there's there's a lot of different approaches that I would use. And again, that would be very much linked with the, the child in front of me. So I'm a humanistic and integrative therapist, which means I don't prescribe by a certain model that I have to meet that child with their family or carers in order to understand their experiences. And so they lead me. But what it looks like on it is on a day to day, you could be doing sand tray stories, which I'm a huge, I have such a passion for sand trays because it, it delves into your unconscious. And you, like I can advocate for it because I have to have do them myself in my own training. And I was blown away by a 15, 20 minute sand tray. So what it is, is you're putting little figures into this rectangular sand tray and it can connect with the deep unconscious and you think you're just picking these little figures like people or trees or vehicles or bridges or maybe ghost scary different um figures and symbols so it would be connected a lot with Carl Jung around dreams and symbols and archetypes and you think that it's very random and then when you sit back and you look at it and you dissect it, it just blew my mind. And I could not believe that this tray was showing me parts of myself from a very small child. And it made it helps bridge the gap between that internal struggle of why do I do this or what's this about? Why am I feeling this way? And it's helps you move through your journey a bit more and revisit pieces from your past maybe to help you go forward so that's one area that I love we would use a lot of movement so again you could appreciate I've yoga balls I've exercise balls and why we use that is we're looking at bilaterals we're looking at whether the child can cross the midline between left brain right brain um, what are their reflexes like? Because again, as infants, a lot of my work is looking at the birth and looking at how they entered into this world. So that can tell us a lot about where they're holding on in their body, if they have tension, maybe emotional buildup and how we can help support them in letting it go. There's creative arts. We, we can express ourselves through painting, through clay, through journaling, writing stories. So there's an awful lot of playful approaches. And again, one piece that I'm fascinated by is the tunnel and the tent. 
And again, some people might think she's off the wall now when she says this, but I have witnessed children rebirthing and the tent and the tunnel are symbols and apparatus as the womb and the birth canal. And it is just phenomenal that they're, they have it in their body. It's held in their body. Their memories that they can't access through words because they didn't have them at the time of their birth. But if it was traumatic, like I had one boy who had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and he was in a lot of distress and the mother was obviously in a lot of distress. And he came to me last year and he was eight. And I will always remember him because, again, he used the tunnel, the tent and a snake. He wrapped the snake around his neck. He was in and out of this tunnel. He was telling me he was going to a land that was from years and years ago and that I had never been there and I couldn't go there. And how I knew it was a rebirthing was his body became very labored. His breath became very heavy. So it's just it's phenomenal. I like I cannot emphasize the powers of playing more and more. Now it's not just playing on the floor. Obviously it's informed by a therapist and by theory, but the child really is the center and the one that holds the key. And that it's mm. absolutely amazing. I'm literally sitting here blown away by what you're describing and what the power of that actually has and a big thing that's coming up for me, what I'm seeing there is you talk a lot about the body and the body sometimes remembers on an unconscious level. Is that something that you think even carries on through even beyond childhood as well? Mm, absolutely. Um, you probably came across Bethel van der Kolk and he has the lovely book, The Body Keeps the Score. And I suppose I'll share a bit of my own personal piece in this, Dan, because this is how I know it can go on for years and years. So um, I was adopted. That's why I said Deirdre Nicole this morning because it's taken me a long time to add in that second name, Nicole. Yeah. And I was eight weeks premature and I was not breathing as a baby. I had to be bagged and with the oxygen and I had three blood, blood transfusions and I was only three pounds, 11 ounces. So that's not again to get sympathy but it will help hopefully listeners understand that my entry into the world was a scary entry it was very frightening I was very vulnerable and for years I suffered with my gut and I still do my stomach my digestion and my gut and you probably know a lot about the vagus nerve and I know I've heard you talking about parasympathetic and sympathetic and it makes more sense for me now that as a very small baby I was really conditioned for threat for fear my body was extremely tense and I know um, that that's even pre-birth so my mother would have been she was only 19 she would have been under an awful lot of stress and anxiety. And it's the whole piece around the shame of having a child in Catholic Ireland out of wedlock. So I know when she was carrying me, I was feeling all of the stress. The chemicals were being sent to me and I was picking up on it. That's what was informing my body about the world that I was going to enter. 
and um, so how uh, all throughout my my life I've had issues with it but you know at different times it would be exasperated and other few years I might get by with not having real bad symptoms and my mom used to call me my adoptive mom used to call me tough cookie and again this would relate with what you do Dan because I used to physically exert myself to like beyond a reasonable level nearly I was big into running I played basketball for years and um, thankfully our school won to All-Ireland um, but looking back I was trying to find a way to numb the body to escape the body to not be in my body because it wasn't a nice place to be and it was very tense and scared and I didn't know any of this until I started studying the, the psychotherapy and play therapy and then at other times I would get infections a lot and being a teacher again all the children as we know it can it can um you know be crop be um passed on so easily and I was on antibiotic after after antibiotic and only now do I know the real detrimental effects of that as well on the gut and the microbiome so in the last number of years um so I suppose it's linked with mental health, the gut and the brain axis, as you know. And out in Abu Dhabi, I snapped my ACL, actually. So the body, I believe, will will create the disease, the diseases, Miriam talked about too, uh, until you start to listen. And, and it can scream at you and scream at you for years, which it did to me and for me, but I wasn't listening. And I didn't want to listen. And I hated my body. Like it was... Uh, it's just a, an absolute struggle to be anyway kind to it and still to this day I will struggle with it but I've learned how to listen understand it soothe it and try to reverse what was deeply ingrained in me from day one if that makes sense and and to let go and for me again I've gone through a lot of therapy, personal therapy, and it's been absolutely insightful and has made all the difference in my world. But it was talk. So it was predominantly talk therapy. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't reaching my core. It wasn't helping me understand these sensations in my body or this yeah. hole and void that I was feeling. So... For me, that's why I am so passionate about play therapy is that these approaches help the unconscious, the body piece, the somatic piece, rather than just focusing on the, the talk, the mind, the, the highest part of our brain. Uh, it's an incredible story there now you're, you're after sharing with us all. And what I love about it is, is you're you're coming from a place not of studying but from a place of being and i think that's that's a powerful place to be coming from because as i like to say at times is we can all read a book we can all listen to it but when we've experienced and when we went through it that's when the real the real awareness the real knowing becomes within that and it's incredible to hear your whole journey between 
with your mum and then your childbirth and then going to Abu Dhabi and then going to, to school and then changing to a new job and changing. What age again, Dee? <laughs> 32. You're only 32 and you've experienced all these things right now and you're sitting today after getting your, your qualification. And I think it's in, inspiring me sitting here now, just listen to your whole story now and I can now understand exactly where you, where you where you come from and the work that you do because I remember when we first met, I kind of didn't really understand it and didn't really know it if I'm being honest. And now that I sit with you here, it sounds like one of the most powerful things ever. I want to after we finish this, I want to sit with you for three hours <laughs> and try to pull as much information as I can out of you. But it's it's amazing to see, as you say, the power of play and how. I suppose movement in a way can actually teach us a lot more than just sitting down and having a talk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here in a bid to be a victim. I was a victim for long enough and I played that role and I love the concept of our shadow parts and how we all have shadow parts and parts to us that, we step into various roles and that again would be like the archetypes of the healer or the hero or the fixer. And for too long, like I did not know who I was, not an ocean who I was. And and you held on to, oh, she's the principal's daughter or she's the teacher. And you cling on to them with such fear. And for me, again, there was I was just so terrified of letting go of those parts of me because I, I knew that there was these other hidden secret parts like she's adopted and it brings such shame and like currently it's so topical in Ireland at the minute with all this about the mother and baby homes and it, it can really just make me so infuriated and sad where the system does seem to be still failing people and that there's so many people out there with wounds and there's not enough being done for them. So like if I know I'm helping children and parents because the other piece, Dan, I was thinking actually in, in preparation for this, the other part that is huge is transgenerational trauma and intergenerational trauma. So what that means is parents having unresolved pieces of their own trauma and story and it's being transmuted down and it's being passed down not intentionally but unconsciously and I love that part of my work but it can be challenging because I'm not the parent therapist but it's lovely when they're open enough to be able to see how maybe some of their stuff is contributing to behaviors and pain that the child is displaying um, and if I know I'm making a bit of a difference in that, and if I know I'm maybe alleviating and helping to um, equip children from a young age to be able to face challenges, because we all know life brings them and they won't escape them, yeah. that that is really why I do what I do. But the other part of why I do what I do is really around adoption and wanting to help adoptees and birth mothers and fathers and adopted parents because I just feel like there isn't enough of a voice for them right now yeah, exactly and 
I think with the work you're doing there, you're definitely making a huge impact. Anyway, we can definitely see that and hear it in your voice. And for someone, let's say, even listen now, I'm conscious of a lot of people who listen to these, it could be mothers, uh, young mothers, old mothers, or, or anyone at all. What would you, like, the reason why I'm asking this question, a lot of people, when they come to me, a lot of reason why they want to, to start to change themselves and to start to change their health. They want to start to think more positively. They don't want to be stuck in the past as much. A lot of time when I talk to these people, it comes up the same reason why overall. And a lot of that time is for their, for their own kids, that they grow up, that they become the role model. And you spoke a lot about theirs. Sometimes when we, we know trauma can be passed down through generations, or that's conscious or subconscious, it can be passed down. And sometimes when we hold a certain pain in the body, that can actually be passed down through the mother unconsciously with a her pain in the body. So when we look at that and being passed down for a mother, or maybe it's a father, maybe it's whoever, and there's someone who are trying to improve their own health, but they mm-hmm. want to do it for their children, what would you say would be the most important message for them in order to to start to grow their own health for their children what would that be do you think to make a good role that's not a big question at all dad not at all <laughs> it just popped into my head no pressure we'll take a five minute tea break and we'll be back in five minutes five hours <laughs> i think first and foremost it is looking at themselves uh, you can't expect your child to change if their environment is not changing so that's another part that of my work that I feel very strongly about that we cannot put expectations on these little or smaller people or teenagers even because their brain development is still developing and they're still growing and sometimes I think we as adults can forget that our brain is not really fully formed until mid-20s and even at that as you appreciate sure it's continually changing and it's plastic so yeah we, I think look at your expectations for your children or teenagers and is it appropriate? And in therapy, we talk a lot about age and stage. So if you have a 10-year-old boy who is exhibiting emotionally as a three-year-old boy, you can straight away know and see there's something that's not aligned. There's a big gap here between chronological age and emotional stage. And the, the joy of therapy is it brings that bridge closer. There's not so much of a gap because the child is allowed to be at whatever emotional age they're at in the playroom. And it's amazing to see like 14 year olds regret right back to wanting to play with the dollies and bath them and, and look after them. And it's because more than likely a piece of that development or their their childhood or their experiences something happened something was stressful something knocked them off helter skelter and again it doesn't have to be something as big of trauma as a car accident or a fire or anything huge it can be that the smaller traumas are just as bad because they can collectively keep going and they can be grouped together so it's looking at your I, not just by age, but trying to 
parents where on the emotional stage are they? Do they look like they're back at the terrible twos? Um, and then trying to think back as a family and not to beat oneself up because again, I like that's not helpful for anybody if if parents start thinking they're terrible parents and that they they did the wrong thing by their child. I always say you were doing your best that you could at that given time with the resources that you had. So it's trying to nearly create a timeline, a picture and a little scale as to, well, what was going on in our lives if he's looking like he's back at five? Was there anything when he was five that was happening for us all? And again, it could be the loss of a pet. It could be... Uh, a change of school you know and again these might not seem big for us as adults but if we were to think back to when we were five and we all of a sudden had to change a school and leave the people that we thought we belonged with and so associated with it's huge so it's trying to to look at those pieces and understand and normalize why this this child may be exhibiting the behaviors that they are. I hope that was clear. Yeah, no, it's an amazing way to look at it. Like, and to, to practically see, as you said, draw on that page out and look at what, what was happening in my life back then. And it's an exercise. I've actually went back to myself over the last two, three weeks. I, I sat down and I said, right, what's, what's the things I've actually looked at and learned? And, a lot of it came back to my childhood that I haven't thought about in two to three years, to be honest. And it was amazing to see some of the things that was happening back then. And when I look back at it now, it makes sense. When I look initially look back at it, it didn't make sense. And I think maybe as adults, we can forget that at times. Oh, they're only children. They wouldn't know. Sure, they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't yeah. be able to take that in. But as you know a lot better than me, kids are like sponges, so they'll absorb everything they hear, see, perceive, and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on a very important part because, again, we come into this world and we learn through our sensory system. We learn through those eight senses, whether it's the taste, the smell, the sight, the proprioception, the movement, the muscles, and that. that how we are informed about our world about the people in our world about our environment so we have to go back to the body always we have to go back to okay why am I feeling these ways what information is giving is coming into my system to make me feel this or think this um and just on what you said there there's one theorist I don't want to sound too theoretical but oh my goodness he has made the, all the difference for me in my life and his name is Eric Erickson. And he talks about we go through eight stages in our, our whole life between childhood and adulthood. And he talks about different age um, groupings of ages and how there's always a crisis that comes along and we're trying to understand it and achieve a virtue. And for me, it made perfect sense that the first virtue that we're looking for in life is trust. And so his, his, his thinking on it is, if you enter the world like I did, and the world was quite scary, and there was a lot of anxiety and fear, I would not have established this virtue of trust and trusting others. 
So it made perfect sense for me that for 20 odd years, I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my feelings on this world. And I was forever feeling that there was some threat about to happen. And it was obviously um, fueled by my mum's illness as well, that that was a threat that I would lose her. But any parent for sure, look up Ericsson's eight stages, because for me, again, if you're wanting to do that timeline, it can help you pinpoint what area maybe did they not fully solidify or not feel like it was fully formed or, or solid in their world. And the other part that I will I love is um, transactional analysis, it's called. And it's about us all having a parent piece to us, an adult piece to us, and a child piece to us. And depending on who we're interacting with or depending on a circumstance, we can very quickly react in a child way. Or we can go into that position of an of a parent telling somebody what they should or shouldn't do, when in fact we we have to strive to stay in our adult place of being very conscious, being very regulated and able to make decisions and and be calm. So I love from my four years, they're probably my most favorite <laughs> um model that I, I hold very close to my own thinking and behaving. Yeah, incredible. And there's there's so much there for anyone to take away. And even I know we're talking about child development, but I think it's even for our own selves, it's something we can look back, as you said, and, and make sense of our own journey and along the way. And for me, it's, it's an order. As I said, a lot of people who come into me, the reason why they do and want to do the work that they're doing is eventually for their own kids so to learn the lessons or to be the role model but as you said it mm. has to come from the person within so it's it's great to see someone of yeah. your caliber your knowledge and your education to, to be sharing yeah. that it's good to know i haven't been been wrong the last three years and eleven. you have to do it yourself to experience it first <laughs> it's great you have me backed but, up but i think as well it's and it, you you're definitely um an icon of this done it's connecting with the people connecting with the person so even if it's your child like what i see on a weekly basis is our parents that are afraid to say things to their children to share their childhood with them to share the, the like and children will fit you into really nice rigid boxes sometimes as mommy as daddy as teacher and they can be very fixed and rigid. But if you can show them, I'm not just that one part. I have many parts to me. And I share myself willingly. And like only last week, there was a, a girl that came to me and she's selectively mute. And she's afraid a lot of the time to talk and lost her dad very recently. And it's not that I go around sharing myself with every child, but it felt right for me to say to her after 20 sessions of working together, you know, I'm going to let you know something and I think it might help you feel a bit more understood that my mommy's also up in heaven and that I I feel how you feel sometimes. So I think for parents, it's, it's also appreciating you can be vulnerable with your child, even if they're three, even if they're 23 and not being afraid to share. Yeah, it's that open and honesty within everything that carries yeah. 
in that as well. Beautiful, Lee. Thanks, Miriam, for that. And if you could, I'm not going to throw you in, well, I will throw you in the spot with these questions again, but you're doing a great job so far. So no doubting you again. But for you, if you could finish up and let's say, for what would be your one biggest message that you could share with someone? So it can be from what you've studied, it could be from your own journey, it could be one thing that when you sit here right now, it's the first thing that comes into your mind. I think it's each and every day to try to connect and become closer to the real you. And and nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else, all the lovely self-help books, all the wonderful people out there that are helping so many, but at the end of the day, nobody's in your skin nobody has been in your shoes lived where your experiences like you have so I think my message is to come back to yourself and try to go a little bit closer each day and delving that little bit deeper so that eventually I'm getting closer you can feel free and love who you are and don't have to apologize for being you Amazing. That's incredible. Thanks mm. Benny, again. And I think that's a really powerful episode here today. And I know for me, I'll even love to go back and listen to this over again and take down a few notes because there's tons of stuff, I think, in there for people to open their mind and maybe to start to connect things together, as you said from before. Like, And where could people find more information about you or, or where, where are you hiding in Donegal these days? Where am I hiding up in the hills? So my business is called Unlock. So you can find me on Unlock on Facebook, Deirdre Ward Unlock. And I also um, have a page Unlock on Learn Unleash. And that's really my passion for helping the inner child and healing the inner child. And I'm currently developing a new website. And I hope in a couple of months that I'll be able to share a lot of free resources and videos and, again, more insights for people. Super. Well, well, you said it now, so you've 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 put it out there into the universe. The website's <laughs> going to be done in two months now. Super. Maybe Thanks. three. <laughs> maybe three. Maybe three. We'll give you that. Super. That was great, Dean. Thanks a million again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to sit and hear, listen to all your your wisdom, your stories, your knowledge, and your inspiration. And it's been um, an eye open even listen for me here over the last fifty minutes. I really makes me to start look at my own self as a child and looking at a different light and look even at young little buckles that I see running up and down the beach in a different light in different way as well and it's, it's incredible um last 45 minutes or so so thank you again Dee and no doubt I'll be chatting to you again soon thank you so much Dan as I said it's my privilege to be on today thank you chat to you soon Dee thanks again bye